0: This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you, taking just a few minutes today for your self work. Hi, this is Dr. Margaret. Thanks so much for joining me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Today we're going to be talking about trust, regaining trust, and the title indicates that perhaps somewhat counterintuitively, regaining trust is really a two-way street, not a one-way street. So we'll be talking about regaining trust in the context of one or both partners having an affair. However, the steps that we're going to go over can really be used for any kind of betrayal of trust. It doesn't have to be an affair, and I'll be using my work with couples who've had affairs as examples, but I'll also be commenting from time to time about how that might look, simply if it's a conflict with a friend or between a parent and child, not necessarily between partners. So the first thing we're going to talk about are why affairs happen. There are a few that are pretty common, and then a couple that you might not really think about. Straight after that, we're going to get to the five steps of regaining trust, and we'll go over these in a fair amount of detail. And then the third and last thing we'll do today is that I'm going to read a letter from a listener who wrote in about her postpartum depression, how she was treated in the doctor's office, and some of the feelings she was left with of not knowing what to do about her own depression. Just to fill you in... I've been a clinical psychologist for over 20 years now. I've been practicing in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And years ago, I got a call from a TV reporter after the infamous blue dress incident during Clinton's presidency. He wanted to interview me about affairs and couples. His question to me was, do you think Hillary and Bill will actually get a divorce? I laughed and said, if everybody who'd had an affair actually got divorced, there'd be a lot more divorces than there are even now. So, no, I didn't think Hillary and Bill were going to get a divorce, and I told him I thought it might be really a fairly boring interview. But working through an affair is tough. Regaining trust is tough. It takes tremendous energy and lots of vulnerability on both sides. But it's important that we talk about this because the number of affairs are growing steadily. Years ago, many more men reported having affairs, but now we women have joined in. Actually, I should say married men and married women, because the study was about going outside of your marriage. So what are the reasons why people have affairs? Most people, or many people, give a sexual reason. Sex has gotten boring, sex has gotten uninventive, and that's really for both genders. Then there's avoidance of conflict. What that means is rather than working through what you have conflict about, you withdraw And you look for someone else who will agree with you, someone else who will nod their head and say, oh, I can't believe she or he said that to you. And that can often grow into an affair. There's lack of intimacy, what a lot of people call growing apart. This can happen, especially if the couple doesn't do anything together anymore. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've asked couples, so when was the last time you went on vacation? And they'll say, oh, it was like six months ago. And I look at them and say, without the children? And they say, oh, no, it's been like three or four years since we've done anything together. The fourth reason is what's called an exit relationship. What an exit relationship is, is when you are attracted to someone outside of your partnership, outside of your marriage, you either have an emotional affair with them or you have a sexual affair with them. And the very fact that you say to yourself, you know, I can care about someone else who's not my partner in a way justifies or rationalizes you ending the relationship. Then, of course, there's the midlife crisis where you're attracted to someone in your 40s or 50s who's probably younger than you or younger than your partner. One of the things I think about these kinds of relationships is that they're really about believing you can only be a certain way when you're around that person because you make it all about the person that you are now attracted to when really you have those capabilities within yourself. But in midlife, because of aging and other factors, Sometimes you just get scared that you can't create that by yourself. Basically, in a midlife crisis, you really see someone else as providing for you what you can't provide for yourself. But it is a reason why people have affairs. The last two reasons are revenge sex, meaning, yeah, I'm going to have an affair because you had an affair. That certainly is a very mature choice. (laughs) And then there's the sensation thrill, that kind of edgy, dark... I'm really not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do this. I want a sensation thrill. There's an author who's talked, and actually she's a psychologist up in New York. Her name is Esther Perel, and she's talked a lot about this whole sensation thrill thing. She wrote a book called Mating in Captivity, and all her patients have polyamorous relationships, meaning they aren't monogamous. I think it's an interesting quote, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. This is from a TED Talk that Esther gave. By the way, she's a real firebrand of a psychologist. She's a lot of fun to listen to if you ever get a chance, and she, she's very thought-provoking. So here's the quote from her TED Talk. So reconciling our need for security and our need for adventure into one relationship, or what we today like to call a passionate marriage, used to be a contradiction in terms. Marriage was an economic institution in which you were given a partnership for life in terms of children and social status succession, and companionship. But now we want our partner to still give us all these things. But in addition, I want you to be my best friend and my trusted confidant and my passionate lover to boot. And we live twice as long. So if you're interested in some of her work, again, this is a little bit of a tangent on my part. I'm not necessarily supporting polyamory, but it is a lifestyle that some people choose. You Talk about the need for trust. Whew. There would really be a lot of need for trust in a polyamorous relationship. So let's go on to the steps. These are the steps that you would follow in treatment. Obviously, a lot of people work out one or both partners having affairs quite on their own. But if you seek treatment, this is certainly what I highly recommend. It is a little controversial. There are a lot of therapists that do not do this. Number one for me is see your therapist together. Trust is such an obvious issue. It's important that the spouse regain their role as confidant, as someone who can be opened up to safely. I believe it's vital that those be shared conversations between husband and wife with a therapist present. I do think that individual therapy is a good idea if you're not sure about reconciliation and you need to talk to a therapist about those feelings. But I can't tell you how many people have said to me something like, Well, but I can't say that to her or I can't say that to him with him in the room. My response is, and that's the problem. You have to learn how to say those things and talk about them. So I believe in seeing a therapist together. Now, the second step or factor or whatever you want to call it is one that's really hard. It's really hard. And this is, know that the truth rarely comes out all at once. Generally, this is because whoever had the affair feels very guilty And so that guilt causes them to not want to say quite everything. And then the other factor is they may be protecting the spouse or the partner and not want to hurt them. Sometimes the protection is toward the person who they had the affair with. Now, this infuriates the person who's been hurt, but it's just a factor. It's a part of it. In many ways, the person who had the affair wants you to blame him or her, not the person that they were attracted to. The third thing is that there has to be a recognition that the problems in the relationship didn't cause the affair, but they've got to be talked about. The spouse who had the affair or the partner who had the affair is totally responsible for going outside the marriage. That's very clear. But there are individual reasons someone has an affair, but there could be contextual reasons, like the reasons we were talking about. One of them was avoidance of conflict or lack of intimacy that's a couple problem. Now, sometimes when things are not going well, the spouse who had the affair will want to totally blame the marriage for the affair, and I don't let that fly. Yes, sometimes there are big problems in the relationship, which we need to talk about, but you don't get off the hook. And actually, if that's the case, that should be a red flag for the person listening and wanting to reconcile, but hearing his wife or her husband say, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't have done it if I weren't so miserable. That's not a good sign. Now, the fourth factor is the one that's a little bit counterintuitive. The regaining of trust goes both ways. It's a two-way street. The person who actually had the affair, the way they need to regain trust is pretty evident. They've got to cut ties with the person that they had the affair with, I will say, though, this is sometimes difficult because if you work together, there can be some real practical problems there, but they've got to be worked out. They've got to provide whatever information the other asks for to help them heal. Some people want a lot of information, and some people want very little. There are pros and cons to both of those. You can have too much information to where you find out way more than you can forget and forgive, and that can be a really, really difficult thing. But then if you don't ask enough questions, you may have feelings that you don't work out. If the person who had the affair doesn't willingly and proactively offer openness in what used to be more private choices, that might be a signal that the hurtful impact of the affair just isn't understood or responsibility accepted. This is difficult because our passwords, our texts, all that stuff is private, and it feels good that it's private. It's our own little world that we're connecting with others and creating. So you lose that for a while. You have to regain the right to have that back. Here's a technique that I teach for people to have these talks to regain trust. I suggest that they pick a time, like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and they pick days, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, let's say. And they sit down on those days for that allotted amount of time, and the person who did not have the affair gets to ask questions tell the person how they feel, and they both talk openly about the affair. After that period of time, though, they don't talk about it. In some ways, you've got to fence in the conversation, or it can seep into every aspect of your relationship. The person who had the affair can often feel attacked, invaded. You're brushing your teeth, and you get asked some detail, very very intimate detail, and it, it can be irritating and difficult. At the same time, those things have to be addressed and answered. Really, at that point, the goal for the person asking the questions who was hurt, the, the non-cheater, the goal for them is to say, you know, I just don't need to ask this question. I'm okay with not knowing. Or I've asked it and I'm I'm okay with the answer. But the two-way street thing is important. And this is why. Because what the person who did not have the affair has to do is give reassurance to the other partner that they are moving through their grief, through their anger, so that hope can be reestablished. The person who's giving the information and who feels very guilty can lose hope. But the last thing that someone wants to realize is that 10 or 15 years down the road, their spouse says, you know, I never really forgave you for that affair. I want a divorce. Or even if they don't say that, they act on it. They they can be very passive-aggressive or bitter. And that is just not a situation that anybody wants. That's not creating a new marriage. The fifth step or factor is that it takes time. And one of my caveats that I say to all my patients who are working through something like this is for the person who did not have the affair, who got hurt, it can't happen slow enough. For the person who did have the affair, it can't happen fast enough. So, there's a very delicate balance that has to happen in those situations where you go slow enough, but you go fast enough. This is where a therapist can really be helpful in trying to help the couple understand that balance. The one thing, also, that the person, again, who did not have an affair, I'm trying to stay away from the word cheater because it's just so derogatory, and many fine people have affairs they don't think they ever would they didn't think they ever would but they do I don't know there's something about the word cheater that I really don't like but the person who is trying to regain trust will frequently ask me well how do I know how do I know that I'm not going to find something else out again one of the factors before was not all the truth comes out at once what if I find out there's somebody else and so would I look at them and say what would you do if you did find that out if he or she is lying to you again If he or she is betraying you again, what would you do? They say, I would leave. I would pack up the kids. I would go. I'd throw her out, whatever. So my answer to that is then you have to take a leap. When you're ready, when you realize I have all the information that I need for right now, then you take a leap of faith, knowing what you would do if you're betrayed again. As hurtful as that would be, you know what you would do. There's one other sort of sneaky step, not sneaky, that's not the right word, complex. Sometimes the person who had the affair actually has very strong feelings for the person they had the affair with. Again, somewhat counterintuitively, I believe it's important for those feelings to be discussed within the couple. And what I mean by that If you thought about calling him or her, I think it's important to tell your spouse that you had that dilemma and that you still chose not to do it because you're working on reconciling. And I get some pushback on this one because the person will usually say, but if he or she knows that I'm still struggling with feelings for the person, then I'm going to hurt her again and I don't want to hurt her again or I'm going to hurt him again. But this is my point. Your partner is wondering anyway, what's going on in your mind and heart? So if you talk to them about it and let them know where you fall on the spectrum, how you are detaching from that person, how you're understanding why you got involved in the first place. If you give your spouse that information, he or she can heal. And it may not be as bad as what they're thinking you're doing or what their imaginations lead them to question. So I think it's an important step. The good news is that I have seen many, many people work through affairs It can be accomplished if both people are committed to building a different kind of marriage or a different kind of partnership, not the one they had before. The commitment is to a richer, more fulfilling marriage. And it doesn't get that way because of the affair, but it gets that way because of the work done to make that relationship a better relationship. So now we're going to move on to the letter, or actually it was an email that I received a little while ago. I'll give you all that information in just a minute. Here's the email. After I had my baby, I went to my OBGYN and he said, it's baby blues. You don't look depressed. So by the next appointment, he said, are you feeling better? I just said yes, because last time he made me feel stupid. A year and a half later, it's gotten worse and I'm scared to ask another doctor for fear it will happen again. I don't know what to do. Even though my husband says he's here for me, I don't feel like I can talk to him about it. I don't know why. I just can't. I don't know what to do. You know, postpartum depression is an extremely real thing. And yet it occurs in the context of you have this new life in your home and maybe it's your first child, maybe it's not, but you're quote unquote supposed to be happy. So the feelings you're having, maybe you don't attach with the child, maybe you don't want to take care of the child, maybe you just want to sleep. But whatever it is, it's very difficult to admit depression. There's certainly more research going into this, and I know there are several celebrities that have talked about their own postpartum depression, which will hopefully help. What I said to this woman was to please not allow the ignorance or the passivity of the doctor that she saw, perhaps even laziness of the doctor that she saw, to prevent her from getting the help she needed. I sent her a couple of links to articles about postpartum depression, and encouraged her to find the help she needs. Actually, sometimes men get depressed after children are born because the dynamic in the family changes so much that it's hard for them. Their role with their wife changes. Even the happy arrival of a baby doesn't necessarily mean that parents aren't going to experience some mild to moderate or even severe depression. So I hope that was helpful. I've treated a lot of people who've had affairs I didn't talk as much as I thought I might about how all of this can be connected to any kind of betrayal, but think about it. The first factor was seeing your therapist together. What this would translate into with a friendship would be, just don't talk to a lot of other people about it. Keep your conversations private about what happened in your own friendship. The second, know that the truth rarely comes out all at once. This is going to be true as well with friends or a parent and child. The third is the problems in the relationship didn't cause the affair, but they're important to talk about. What we discussed was that betrayal happens in a context, and that context is important to recognize and to discuss and to change. Number four was the regaining of trust goes both ways. The person who wants forgiveness wants it quickly. The person who has been hurt, it may take time for them to release that hurt. And yet, knowing that they want to, knowing that they're working on it, knowing that the person who betrayed is working on the reasons why he or she did so, all of that is important, whether it's about an affair between partners or whether it's a friendship or between parent and child. And then the last one about it taking time. It takes time to regain trust. Especially teenagers have a hard time with this one when they say, I did that. A month ago, why don't you trust me yet? But it takes time. It's simply a natural consequence of betrayal or lying. So there are lots of ways of contacting me. I have a website where I write a weekly blog, and that's drmargaretrutherford.com. My private email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can find me on, on Twitter at dr underscore Margaret. I have a Pinterest and an Instagram page if you're interested in those ways of reaching out and connecting with me. I'd love that. And I really hope you subscribe. That would be great. Feel free to leave me a rating, a review, and comments. Thanks again for listening. This is Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.